welcome to the Advance Your Art podcast, where we talk about the journey from artist to entrepreneur and everything in between. You've worked hard to hone your craft. Now take it to the next level with tips, techniques, strategies, and routines used by successful artists to grow their businesses and careers. Now, let's get started and have some fun with your host, Yuri Cataldo. Catherine, how are you? Welcome to the show. I'm fine, thanks. Thank you. Excellent. Well, I'm, again, so pleased that you're able to join me. This is going to be fantastic. For my audience members who are not as familiar with you and your work, how do you describe yourself and what you do? I am a self-employed musician, and so that means I do a whole wide variety of things. Uh, I do quite a bit of teaching. So mm -hmm. I have a private teaching studio and then I also run some school programs around the area. And uh, recently I've started teaching some courses at the local public library. So okay. uh, learn fiddle kind of courses. Yeah. And then I'm also active as a performer. And so my performance takes three different kind of, um, three different styles. So I'm quite active in Baroque music. So music written from around 1600 to 1750. And I actually, I have a period instrument. So a violin that was made during that time. Um, and I use the gut strings, like we do as much authentically as we can. Mm -hmm. And so that's one thing that I do. And then I play a lot of Celtic music. I have a four piece Celtic band. Uh, and then I play in the local symphony as well. So I play classical music. Yes. Wow. So you are very, very busy. Yes. Yeah. Um, okay. So before we get into your your uh, your music a bit, I'm I'm curious to hear about what first inspired you to get into classical and Celtic and and uh, music. So the the very origin is my dad, and okay. so my dad was a botanist by trade. He was a university professor. But he played the violin and he played the fiddle around the house. Mm -hmm. And then my elementary school, they had a program there where you could learn violin. And so I have an older brother. And when he was old enough, he started taking lessons. And then I wanted to do anything that my older brother did. And so I started taking lessons as soon as I could. So that's the origin of music and the okay. love of music. Yeah. Um, as far as doing it professionally, that was never a plan. <laughs> <laughs> the plan was to be a scientist. I was very good in math and science in school. And, you know, of course, where my dad was a, a professor and, you know, that just seemed like a really natural thing for me to do. So that was the plan in high school. And then one day I was sitting in, in music class and I thought, you know, I could, I could give this a try. And so applied to university and got a degree in music and I have never looked back. Yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. I'm glad that, that happened right there in high school. So, <laughs> so um, let's talk about your university days. So what did you, when you say you, you studied music in university, did you study how to play violin in, and in university or was it a combination of a lot of other things like music theory and, and then did violin on the side? So my degree uh, is in music theory. Okay. And my 
my specialty, my area of, of particular interest is modal counterpoint. And so that is a particular style of music that was written, again, back in, in the Baroque period. Um, and so the whole point, the way that counterpoint works is that it's not, you're not worried about the chords that it makes. Mm -hmm. uh, it's individual lines. They're all melodic lines and they line up into harmonious sounds, but it's not you know, a one chord going to a four chord, going to a five chord, uh, which is the way that music later on has developed. So that was my particular area of interest. Um, I did take violin lessons because it was a music degree. I took violin lessons. I played in the symphony. I played in the pit orchestra for the Savoy Society, the Gilbert and Sullivan shows. Mm -hmm. I was down at the pubs uh, jamming every week. Um, and that's where I fell in love with Baroque music, with actually playing Baroque music as well. Uh, so again, even in university, the plan was to become a prof, which hasn't <laughs> happened. <laughs> so uh, music theory was my, my, my specialty at that point in time. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'm, so at what point did your, because I know your, your, again, proficient in, in Celtic fiddle and classical violin. What is, like, what, when did those two kind of things start forming your, your interest in each of those? And I guess also, is there, is there a physical difference between a Celtic fiddle and a classical violin, or is it just the nomenclature you call one, like, what style you're playing? Right, it's, it's all about the style of music that you're playing. The okay. physical instruments are the same. Okay. At least for me, because I do like to be able to flip back and forth across that line. Mm -hmm. um, you will meet fiddlers who have their instruments set up a little differently because they may have different goals. So I don't know how much you know about the violin, but mm -hmm. the bridge on the violin holds Not very much. Okay. And on a classical violin, the way that I like my violin set up is quite curved so that mm -hmm. I have the option of hitting one string or I can hit more than one if that's what I want to do. Some fiddlers will have that flattened out so that it's easier to hit two strings because that's potentially, depending on what style of fiddle music you're playing, that can be something that you want to do more than you would in classical music. Okay. So the, the answer for me and the basic general answer is there is no difference. Okay. Uh, however, you know, there is a certain amount of personal preference in how you have your instrument set up. Sure. Is there, of, of the three styles that you play, is there a particular style that you prefer now more than the other two? No, there really isn't. It's all about what, what I'm doing. So um, my career is very seasonal. So in the winter, I tend to play more classical music. Um, the symphony is quite busy through the winter and I play more, Cel uh, not Celtic, more Baroque music through the winter. Okay. And then the summer, that's when you're doing the outdoor festivals and the outdoor summer concerts. And so there tends to be more fiddling in the summer. And so I often get kind of wrapped up in whatever it is that I'm doing. And then when I change, when it's time to change and go do something else, when I'm immersed in that world again, I go, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. That's <laughs> why I love this. Right. And so it's yeah. this constant discovery for me where... I'm in one world, really enjoying it, and then I flip into another one. I'm like, great, this is amazing. 
because they all bring such different things with mm-hmm. playing in a symphony for example uh you don't get to do what you want right like <laughs> you have to play what all the other violins are playing and that's that you have to use the same bowings you have you know if the conductor wants a crescendo here you're doing a crescendo here you know like it's uh but being a part of that huge sound is so incredible mm-hmm. And then when I play in my Celtic band, I get to do anything I want. I make up all my own parts. If I decide, you know, that I think this note would sound really cool here, then then I do it, right? So I have that freedom in the Celtic music that I don't have in the the symphonic music. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay. So let's uh, let's talk about your first album. So 2007, you had your debut album, Take the Happy Road. Mm-hmm. What? What initially wanted you, made you want to record an album? Well, it's, it's one of those things as a musician that, that kind of makes you feel like you've made it, mm-hmm. right? It's one of those stepping stones where, yeah, you've been doing gigs. Yeah, you've been, you know, playing music and having fun. But to have a physical album that you've done. You know, that, that there's a certain achievement there. There's a certain milestone that uh, that just feels good to do. You know, it, it's it, it's a stepping stone that that in some ways other people expect, but it's it's really about having that, you know, this is what I've done. This because music is so it, it's not tangible, right? It's not like I'm making a cabinet. It's not like I can point to something <laughs> and say, I made this. Right. Right. You know, I make it and it's gone. Um, so the CD recording is our way as musicians of being able to say, you know, I, I made this. Right. <laughs> this is I, what I do. Right, right. I physically done this. Here is proof. Yeah. So what what was the process like for your your first CD in, in 2007? Like, did you like did you work with a, um, you know, a, a record label to do that? How was it like in the, the recording studio itself? What was that like? What did it feel like at that time? So all of my albums have been independent. Okay. Uh, so there's no record label associated with any of them. Uh, the first one, the guitarist that I was working with at that point in time, you know, we did, he did all of, all of my gigs with me. And so I just picked out a bunch of tunes that we'd been playing and booked a studio uh, here in Fredericton. Mm-hmm. And we went in and it was, it was an incredible process. Uh, I have never recorded the same way again because it was probably not a good plan as many first projects go, right? Right, right, right. So what, what, why <laughs> wasn't a good plan? Well, we went in and we recorded the whole album in one day. Wow. And, and that was that. We yeah. started at, you know, whatever it was, 9 a.m. My guitarist had a gig that night. So we're like, okay, this is the cutoff point. We're doing it all before then. I drove home, which I probably shouldn't have been driving. I drove home, got home. I was just, my head hurt, right? Because I had been thinking so hard and trying so hard to do everything perfectly. Mm-hmm. And I got home and I said to my husband, I'm like, I don't care what happens. You know, if you want food, <laughs> you're going to have to do something about it because like, I've got nothing left. And it was <laughs> such a draining experience. I have never thought that hard like worked that hard and left with nothing nothing left 
Um, so I have never recorded another album in one day. <laughs> <laughs> that was quite intense and not a good plan. And I would not suggest it. <laughs> yeah, definitely not. <laughs> Excellent. So you've gone on to record, I think, was it four CDs total now? So five. Five, okay. albums and then one album with my band. Okay, excellent. And it, it looks like it, each, you know, album you release, you get more and more recognition and you've won a number of awards from them. What is, so now when you record an album, what do you do differently and how do you approach that process different from when you first did it in 2007? So I really like themes. Uh, when I recorded my first album, it was just a matter of this is what I'm playing. Okay. You know, so it was a mix of whatever. Since then, I recorded uh, an album called By Request, which was a lot of tunes that were being requested at a pub that I was playing at quite often. And so it was more old time Don Messer kind of style music. And then um, the most recent one, Storm Queen, uh, was all original music, which is something I'd never done. Mm -hmm. And so like that was 100% original. And now I'm actually in the process of recording my sixth album. And this one is called Tea and Tunes. And it's all music that my guitarist and I have played on Facebook Live. We do a weekly Facebook Live that's called Tea and Tunes because yeah. we drink tea and we play tunes. <laughs> and, and so we have picked all the music for this upcoming album from those shows. And we actually had my Facebook fans, you know, the people who've been watching the shows have been voting on mm -hmm. which ones they think they want, you know, they'd like to have on the album. Uh, so that's a big difference now. Uh, I like to have some sort of story around the album as far as like why record an album now? What is it that I want to either potentially say, you know, with the album or at least what, you know, what, I don't quite know how to word what I want to say. What's the unifying factor? You know, like why are these pieces all together? Sure. Interesting. When you, what's the process like for you to write a, a song? Do you already have like a, a ritual or a tradition that you use when you're writing a new piece of music or does it flow naturally? What's that like? So for me, uh, I need a lot of time. Uh, it's not that writing an individual tune takes a lot of time, but I need time to get out of life. Right. There's so much where I have so much going on with the teaching and the different shows and preparing music for all the shows. Mm -hmm. uh, I can't do, you know, Friday afternoon at two o'clock. I'm going to write down. I'm going to sit down and write a tune. Like it just doesn't work. I've tried that. I've tried, you know, every week I'm going to sit down for two hours. And I'm going to be creative and I can't. It takes me more than two hours to switch modes from. Um, you know, checking lists and, you know, checking off lists and getting stuff done to that space of almost boredom. Mm -hmm. I find boredom is really good for creativity, hmm. um, that I need that space of nothing else going on. So I've been lucky enough to be a part of a couple of residency programs where I go and for a week, that's all I do. You know, I just hang out and I write tunes and then I write them in a couple of different ways. Sometimes it's just whatever is flowing you know whatever it is that's coming out 
I just go with that. Yeah. Some days I give myself an assignment. So I'll say, okay, you've written, you know, a whole bunch of tunes that are in minor keys or that are jigs or that are reels. So now let's do something else. Let's write a march or let's write a stress bay or, you know, so sometimes I'll set myself an assignment of you're going to write this kind of piece in this key. And then sometimes I'll look at other pieces that I really like and I'll say, okay, what is that central aspect of this piece? What is it? What's the hook that I think is really cool? And how can I take that little hook and then change it into something else? Mm -hmm. And so those are kind of three different approaches that I take to writing my own tunes. Yeah. Excellent. How has your, your music education helped with your, let's say, professional career and your professional writing career as a musician? Or, yeah, has it had any influence or has it, was it um, not as helpful as you hoped it would be? Well, it definitely has. Uh, in some ways, in some ways, it's kind of in the background. You know, all that theory knowledge that I that I, I got in university, I don't sit down and use that directly, but it's all in there. And when you listen to my compositions, to my Celtic compositions, they're not exactly what you would expect from a fiddle tune, right? There's all that influence of those years of playing classical music and that love of Baroque music and, and you know, so that that knowledge of theory and, and, and history and, you know, all that knowledge that I got from university, do I use it directly? Probably not so much. Uh, mm -hmm. I do write harmony parts and I do, especially for some of my student groups, like I would say in some ways, that's where I use it most directly is that with my student groups, I'll say, okay, this is a cool tune. I want harmony parts for my kids to learn. And so I'll sit down and write them you know, using the theory. In mm -hmm. my own music, I do a lot of it the other way around, where I hear a tune and I hear a melody, I hear a harmony part, and I'm not, you know, calculating, like, what chord is this going from? And, you know, what interval is this? You know, it, it's more happening without the, the calculation, <laughs> if that makes sense. Right. <laughs> But I still feel like it was definitely worthwhile. And without that knowledge, would it be so intuitive? Sure. That makes sense. In, uh, so in, in 2012, you were named the Classical Artist of the Year and received that award. What was that like? And how has that or has it changed your music career in any way? That was pretty crazy. I almost didn't go. <laughs> Why not? Because I looked at the list of people who were up for the award. I was like, there's no way I'm going to win this. And so I almost didn't bother going. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and I did. My former violin teacher, the concertmaster of the symphony, was up for the award. Mm -hmm. And I was like, yeah, right. I'm going to win over these people. Sure thing. <laughs> and then I went and... Uh, my name was announced. I was like, oh, that's pretty cool. <laughs> so up I went completely unprepared. Right. <laughs> um, as far as has it changed my career? You know, I don't, people aren't, 
calling me for gigs saying, hey, we heard your classical musician of the year, but it's still something cool mm -hmm. to have on the website. And uh, you may be headed in this direction, but the cool thing is where I've won three awards, they're all for different things. Right. Right. I won one for classical, being classical musician of the year. I won one for being educator of the year. And then I won one for um, Roost Traditional Album of the Year. So that is really neat uh, for me, having such a varied career to have been recognized in those three different areas. Mm -hmm. And so that's something cool. You know, when you're applying for something, to have that, to actually have uh, recognition for those different areas is something that, that does make people go, oh, that's really cool. You know, does it make people hire me? Probably not, but it does make them go, hey, that, that's kind of cool. Right. Well, I mean, it can't hurt to say that you are a multiple award-winning musician in multiple areas and, and a teacher. I mean, it, yeah. <laughs> Good. I'm, so I'm, I'm curious on how you maybe kind of look at fear these days versus when you were first getting started. Um, so obviously part of the, the deal with being a musician is being in front of people and performing. Have, did you ever have any kind of performance anxiety in the beginning and was kind of nervous to be in front of people to put out yourself in that way? Oh, yeah, it was terrible. Um, all through when I was a kid. So I was a super quiet kid. Um, I am an introvert. And being on stage, oh, my word, my legs would shake and I'd be super nervous. And yeah, it was terrible. Absolutely terrible. And especially if I had to speak. If I could just get up and play, that was okay. But if I had to get up and introduce my piece mm -hmm. and tell people what it was about, that was just awful. And so that all changed for me to a degree in university because I was performing so much. You know, there were months in university that I'd be doing, you know, 18 shows in a month. And you either you have to get over it or you're going to be catatonic, right? Like there's just, yeah. there's no other option. So that, you know, my students, my, my private students often get nervous and that's always what I tell them, you know, like you just, you have to do it. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's scary. Absolutely. But if you don't do it, if you run away from it, it's always going to be terrifying. If you keep doing it, then at some point it's going to be exciting, right? Because yeah. that's part of the trick. Do I get nervous now? Generally, I don't, but I'm excited, right? When I'm going to go <laughs> perform, I'm definitely excited about it. So it's about reframing that fear into excitement mm -hmm. and using that energy because it's all energy. And if you can take your fear and, and use that energy for good, mm -hmm. <laughs> then, then it's going to work. Yeah. Well, good. Of, so of all the songs that you've written so far, I guess, and performed, what, what has been your favorite song to perform? Yeah, that's a hard question. <laughs> <laughs> My guitarist did not have a joke about that because every show I get up, I'm like, this is one of our favorites. This is one of our favorites. <laughs> They're Just all favorites. <laughs> and so like the whole set, like Catherine, you can't keep saying it's one of your favorites because they all are. I mean, I'm not going to get up and say, this is a tune I hate to play, but here it is anyway, right? Like you're right. going to your favorites. <laughs> <laughs> So, so many favorites from my favorite, 
from the most recent album, just because that's the freshest one, uh, is The Friar's Walk. And that was a bit of a surprise. And I often have this experience. I go into the studio and I have tunes that are my favorites. And then sometimes they end up being really hard to record. And sometimes tunes that you go and you're like, yeah, yeah, that, that tune's okay. And then you come out at the end of the day, you're like, yeah, that was amazing. That's a great track. I don't know what the magic is. I don't know what happens, uh, but the Friar's Walk is definitely <laughs> one of my favorites. Yeah. Do you know why that is? That for me, it's because that one, whenever I play it, it just feels like you're soaring. It feels like you're mm -hmm. soaring through the air. Mm -hmm. You know, it's just such, such a beautiful tune, but like, it, it's not, it's not just beautiful. It, it's, yeah, this feeling of, you know, if I was going to put a video to it, it would have aerial photography, you know, going over this amazing landscape scene. Yeah. Because that's how that one makes me feel. Yeah, wonderful. When you, so when you start doing your tours, how far around do you tour or do you mostly stay in the New Brunswick area? So far, I've stayed in the New Brunswick area. Okay. Uh, with the new album, I have big plans. Big, big plans. Yeah. Uh, next June, June of 2020, uh, we're looking at touring New England. Um, June of 2021, I'm going to put this all out into the universe and see what happens. Yeah. June of 2021, planning on touring to Ireland and possibly January of 2021, looking at Australia. Wonderful. So, you know, we're looking at going from basically not touring at all. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to going to Australia. Yeah, to a world tour. I think that's, why I think not? that's, a, why not? It's a fan, fantastic way to do it. And, and yes, I had a secret like, question to ask in there. And I'm glad that you said New England first, because I'm, uh, <laughs> since I live in New England, really easy to, for me to get to personally. So completely selfish, but your, you know, your music Sounds absolutely amazing, and I would love to see it live. So this is, I'll have to make sure that I post a link in the show notes to where your, your touring schedule and also just for my own purposes, keep tabs so that I can come say hi to you in person in the summertime. That would be amazing. Yeah, excellent. So with everything that you have, have done and experienced over these years, what would you say has been the best advice that you've ever received? So the best advice I've ever received is make it easy for people to give you money. <laughs> I like it. Please go so on. I, <laughs> I am resistant to change. Mm -hmm. uh, this was advice that I got about, you know, selling CDs, about having your music available on your website, about, you know, even at, at this point, streaming wasn't a thing, but you know, about all of these things, make it easy. Don't make people jump through hoops to hire you, to buy your stuff, to give you money, right? Make it as right. easy as possible. And so that every time I feel resistant to change, I think back to that and I think, no, no, you have to embrace this. Make it easy for people to give you money. <laughs> Wonderful. You know, so that's, fantastic advice across all boards like no matter what industry you're in you have to make it easy for people to give you money so i think that's it's, it's 
It's great, short, succinct. I love it. Excellent. Catherine, thank you so much for chatting with me. I really appreciate your time. Uh, if the listeners would like to buy your albums, watch you live, you know, see more about what your work is, where is, are the best places they can go to do that? So if they go to my website, um, that is the central place. And then I have links there to all of my social media. Uh, I'm quite active on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook to a degree. Uh, I do have a YouTube channel, but all the links are there. So if they go to my website, katherinemahler.com or .ca, actually .com will get you there too, but katherinemahler.ca. Okay. Great. That's right. That's right. Cause you're in Canada, katherinemahler.ca. Okay. Perfect. And I will, so I'll put the links in the show notes um, to your website as well as your uh, Instagram and, and Twitter handles. So people can click right through. So Perfect. that's awesome. Excellent. Again, thank you so much. I really appreciated this. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Advance Your Art Podcast. If you like this episode, please go into iTunes and give us a five-star rating. And while you're there, hit the subscribe button so that every single time I release a new episode, it will go directly to you without even thinking about it. If you're interested in hearing older episodes, please go to AdvanceYourArt.com where you can find the catalog of everything I've done so far, as well as contact information and projects I'm working on. Thank you again, and have a great day.